episode of the bannerman and although it's only been two weeks it feels like it's been a lifetime and the kings have played a ton a ton of games how are you tonight vardy i'm good buddy hanging in there you know enjoying this few days rest before we pick right back up again in this dense part of the schedule like you mentioned they've played i think uh roughly 74 games in the last two weeks right right it's actually Give nine it's actually nine but oh, pretty close bad. my bad Pretty close. So let's kind of pick up on where we left off. Uh, first thing, our last episode was before the trade deadline. Some things did change with the Kings. They were we said we were they were looking for a middle six forward, and they got a middle six forward. They acquired Tobias Reader from Arizona along with uh, Scott Wedgwood. We are Scott Wedgwood guys on the Bannerman. Uh, although he will never play for the Kings, most likely. We're we call ourselves wedgies. We're hoping it catches on. So far, just it's a slow movement, slow grassroots, if you will, for yes. the wedgies. So a little backstory on that. Last season when the Kings had Budai and Net, um, I kept telling Vardy, like, hey, man, we need to go out and get Scott Wedgwood. He <laughs> He's the answer for our goaltending problems. Um, of course, Budai turned out to play okay. Uh, Scott Wedgwood didn't play in the NHL till this season. But, you know, you want to call me a prophet. You want to call me someone who can see into the future. Scott Wedgwood is an L.A. King, although I suspect he will not play a single game in a Kings uniform. Probably true. Very true. But you got what you wanted, buddy. You got what you wanted. And and right right along with that prophet thing, hey, you know what else you called? You know who's playing for San Jose now, don't you? Yeah, Evander Kane. Got that one right right on our our trade deadline predictions. And you... Got Rick Nash correct to Boston. Oh, I don't, I don't mean to brag. I, so, you know. once again, uh, our percentage, very low. I think you got one right, I got one right. But doesn't mean we can't brag about it. And that's exactly what we're doing right now. We nailed it. I, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. We just we saw a need and we, we knew exactly. We're basically GMs is what I'm saying. These guys call us. We're considering doing a Trade Center show next season. Just me and Vardy. Randomly looking at our phones, pretending like someone's texting us insider information. Mm-hmm. And we will both be holding pens, which, by the way, apparently that's what makes you an insider. I don't know if you watch, like, insider trading on TSN or Sportsnet. All these guys are just holding pens. And that's what makes them official. So I think I figured out the secret. All we have to do is invite Daryl Sutter to sit between <laughs> us and we're good to go. Oh, man. <laughs> See, that's why I wish I lived in Canada right there. Because I just want to hear him just mumble things. About, like, guys who got traded, like, good player, solid player. That's what he's supposed to do. <laughs> it's a good good locker room guy, Alberta guy, worked on the farm. I know his dad, you know. Fourth generation cowboy and, and hardworking, meat and potatoes. There you go. That's Daryl Sutter in a nutshell. Trade deadline. Hot wow. commodity. Suddenly I feel like I do have TSN. <laughs> so th- thank you, Vardy, for that. You're welcome, man. Going back... Uh, we digressed <laughs> severely there, but going it's back to the right. trade, it's Reader and Wedgwood for Darcy Kemper, who was a pending unre- unrestricted free agent, but all- overall this season, excellent uh, for the Kings in a backup role. So I guess that caught a lot of people by surprise in the sense that Jonathan Quick last season was not healthy. That was a big problem for the team. This season he's looked fine, but now... The worry was, well, we're going back to if anything happens to Quick, we're basically screwed. So that's that's why I guess the response was somewhat negative to the trade or somewhat of a surprise. Uh, but if you really break it down, if you're talking about managing an asset, if you're talking about a pending UFA in, in Darcy Kemper that was likely not going to re-sign because his stellar play this season probably earned him a contract somewhere that the Kings would not be willing to pay. It's not bad. I mean, I think Tobias Reeder actually is an RFA at the end of the season, so it's not like he's signed long-term or anything. And I do wonder uh, how that contract negotiation is going to go down because in my research, I've read his agent is a real ball buster 
type, like really high demands, very fights for his players really hard. Uh, the Coyotes had a ton of trouble with Reader's contract, uh, I think on several occasions. So, but again, that's the same issue with Darcy Kemper, right? Darcy Kemper was going to ask for a certain amount of money. I'm sure Tobias Reader is going to ask for something that he's probably not worth. But overall, solid player. Uh, he can skate. He's not a goal scorer by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, his shot is not accurate by any stretch, stretch of the imagination. But he's a dangerous penalty killer, and he's the kind of guy that could create some chaos. Yeah, I and so a lot of things to cover there. I think um, – so first and foremost, I think you have to kind of go back a little bit to the Faneuf trade, right? I think that was like the big centerpiece deal for the Kings. And they, they did it slightly before the deadline. And so far, I think – I think Fanuf has fit in really nicely with the Kings, and you know he's he's contributed a lot on the score sheet. Um, he's brought a presence to the locker room by all indications. If you if you kind of you know read some of the some of the articles and the tweets and things like that, just about the presence that he is in the locker room and the kind of persona that he's bringing. Um, just a guy who sounds like he's really appreciative to be on the team. Um, and then even bringing in a guy like Nate Thompson, who is a bottom six forward, but is clearly good at that role and also brings a little bit of chippiness and brings um, some speed to that role. Obviously a different player than what Nick Shore was, but still with the capability to you know take some draws and win some draws. So I think the Kings make that trade like a week and a half out prior to the deadline. And early returns are that it's working out pretty well. Um, and then, like you said, the next target becomes getting that middle six forward, which Toby reader exactly is. Um, I think, you know, Kemper did fantastic for the Kings. There's no question that he single-handedly won us a few games, especially during a period of time where, where quick was in a bit of a slump. But at some point you have to realize that you're going to lose this guy for nothing. And, Maybe the play of Jack Campbell and the work that he's been able to get with Dusty Emu and the minors and stuff like that. You've seen enough of that where you know that he can come in and be a good enough goaltender through the year um, that you don't have to necessarily sit there and overvalue Darcy Kemper for the rest of the year and lose him for nothing when clearly he's played himself into a position where you signed him for peanuts and you made him into an asset. And I think I think Blake and the Kings did a great job of flipping him and getting something for something, you know, for a piece they would have otherwise lost to nothing. And really, we're, I, I don't think it damages the Kings roster all that much. I think Jonathan Quick has shown that he can he can still play 60-plus games a season, which, again, is not ideal. But he's going to end up doing it, and he can play them well. And so you just hope that Jack Campbell gets his handful of starts and plays as well as he maybe did, you know, in, in Vegas for his first career win for us. Um, and I think— if there's one thing that you can look at over the over the course of what Blake has done with the Kings, right? He's clearly made the bottom six a target for what he wants to fix. He's gotten rid of Jordan Nolan. He's gotten rid of Dwight King. He's brought in guys like Nate Thompson. He's brought in um, Toby Reeder. He's let guys like um, Brodzinski and Amadio come in and play. Uh, Shore is obviously gone. So it's a turnover of like, you know, moving parts of, of pieces on generally a team that should be easily movable. But the one common thread that you can look at now, the team speed has exponentially gotten better between guys like Thompson, Amadio, Reader, Kempe now playing bottom six minutes as well. You compare that to yep. Lewis. You know, exactly, Lewis as well. I mean, you have smart guys, all of whom can take a face off, Kempe excluded. He's getting there. But there's grit. There's speed, there's tenacity, and you can see over those last run of games that the bottom six has been contributing. So I think that was a vision that Blake must have had in the beginning of the season, and he's transformed it. And, and Tory Mitchell as well early on in the season. I mean, look at look at every single trade he's made, and you could tell that the target has always been speed, bottom six, tenacity, ability to win faceoffs. And I think that's this is another trade that kind of addresses that and brings in a guy who's a very smart penalty killer, as a tenacious player, is a great skater, um, has some history with Kopitar having played on Team Euro for the World Cup of Hockey and whatnot, and is young and is still an RFA. So he doesn't have a great, you know, accurate shot. He's not going to put up a ton of goals. That's all right. 
he's, that's not his role anyway. I think in terms of how they in terms of how they envision bringing him into the roster. No, and when we say he doesn't have an accurate shot and he's not a big-time goal scorer, that's not to say he can't score goals. You know, he can. Right. He can just by virtue of his speed and his ability to create turnovers uh, that he will get looks at the net. I mean, he's already got one with the Kings. It wasn't the prettiest goal, but it's kind of maybe the type of goal you could expect from him other than the odd breakaway when when he springs himself free, which, by the way, we've seen kind of flashes of. There's been a few occasions where the the passes that's that have been sent to him for a potential breakaway were either off a little behind him a little ahead of him but there's been at least two occasions that i can remember where he's sprung free and the pass that would have put him on a breakaway didn't quite land where it was supposed to so he does have that kind of breakaway ability he scored like that in his career um with the coyotes so that aspect is there uh with the kings i think what they're, what they're really probably looking at is having him be a solid third liner, maybe with Kempe in the middle, Lewis on the right. That's kind of what we imagined that line would be, just ton, a ton of speed on that line. And mm-hmm. hopefully Trevor Lewis gets back here soon because he, I think, would be a welcome addition to that line, uh, especially since Adrian Kempe seems to kind of be in a cooling off period right now. He, I don't think he scored a goal in a significant amount of time. But... That's not a good, that's not a bad third line. I mean, that's a third line that I'd be comfortable rolling with. It has speed, it has a little bit of experience, and it will be a tough matchup for a lot of teams, especially in the West. A lot of defenses in the West. Yeah, I agree, and I think again, I just I look at where the bottom six is now, and I compare it to where it was in the beginning of the season, and I'm just significantly happier. I, I know we talked about. I think it was last episode we talked about. We're, we're still not really clear what the Kings' identity is. I know at least looking at the bottom six, exactly what the goal is. It's fast. It's tenacious. It's guys who are just going to, you know, work their balls off to score a goal. And that's what we were seeing. And I'm, I'm honestly, you brought up the fact that like readers are RFA and where's his contract negotiation going to go. I'm, I'm hopeful that a lot of the issues he was having with negotiations with the coyotes were because he was negotiating with the Coyotes. Right, right. You know, it's it's kind of a dead-end organization in a lot of ways versus he comes in here to a team that's won two Cups is, again, showing signs of, of being able to make a run here and there. I'm hopeful that, you know, it, things go a little bit smoother here than they did in Arizona. Right. Um, and regarding Fanuf, you, you touched on it, but I want to touch on it too. You know, on our last episode, we kind of mentioned how we didn't think that Dion was the top four defenseman he used to be. And, you know, if we kept if the Kings kept him fifteen to eighteen minutes, it would probably be fine, mistake free hockey. I mean, I don't think anyone could have predicted his offensive output since the trade. And the one thing that I've noticed is at right after the trade, his minutes were in the ballpark of fifteen to eighteen. But now the last three or four games, you're seeing him break the twenty minute mark. So I think it's worked out way better than even the Kings probably imagined. Uh, way better than we imagined, certainly. Uh, it's still a relatively small sample size. Um, but the main thing to me is you. the two games against Vegas were the ones where I was like, let's see how Dion handles this speed. Let's see how the whole team really handles this speed. Because you just talked about how the team looks faster now. Uh, with the addition of Reader and the bottom six changes. And I also wanted to look at at Fanuf and I think you know both aspects Fanuf and the bottom six I think they looked good against Vegas and now a part of that you know is that Vegas for the first time looks a little mortal you know they're they're a 500 team in their last 10 games which lost another one tonight yeah and I'm counting tonight so I think they're I think they're 5-4 and 1 in their last 10 and I think that's yeah. probably the worst 10-game stretch they've had all season. I don't think there's any question about that. So they're starting to look mortal. But, um, yeah, that game – let's get into that back-to-back back against Vegas. Obviously, Jeff Carter returns before that. Uh, he still probably needs a couple more games to really hit his stride. But, man, since he's returned – Pearson and Toffoli have suddenly been producing. Uh, it's Miraculous. Not, it's, yeah, it's not necessarily because of Carter. <laughs> Carter's play directly. Uh, I, in fact, a couple of plays, I don't think Carter was even directly involved in it. But it's just funny how 
as soon as he's activated, these guys kind of start finding their mojo again. And it was last episode we said if that's what it's going to take, then the Kings have a problem. And and here we are. And here we are. Jeff Carter's back. Pearson scoring. Toffoli scoring. Yeah, I think it's it's some of it may just be again the the matchup issue that we talked about that Jeff Carter creates. You know, you you have to worry about not just. Kopitar now you have to worry about Carter and maybe that opens up the ice for some other people on shifts even when he's not on the ice I mean it's just yes he's still a little bit a step behind I think it's still not the Jeff Carter of old but as as I say this he scored three goals in like the four games that he's back including a beauty of one against uh, Columbus it's just it's it's just fantastic having him back quite honestly yeah um it's it's just puts me at ease when he's on the ice that that's pretty really much does. what it comes down to because at the very least i know that he's become such a dependable two-way player in the later part of his career that at the very least i know like he's gonna shut him down you know what i mean and the scoring is just like a bonus at this point which he's done just fine um so Let's talk about the Vegas game. It was a comeback game, and we can kind of tie that into that Edmonton game too because I don't think you can talk about one without talking about the other, really. Um, the Edmonton game, the goaltender interference rule or call, I guess, on Dustin Brown, the goal that would have tied the game. To say <laughs> that I don't agree with that call would be a bit of an understatement. Um, here's my thing with that, all right? And Dustin actually used these words in his post game. He said, what am I supposed to do? And that's exactly the correct question to ask. What is he supposed to do? Uh, the right. puck's in the crease. He's the shooter. Okay? It's not like he's screening. It's not like he's going for a deflection and he bumps. He's the shooter of the puck. Uh, the puck is laying in the crease. He takes two swipes at it. The puck's in the net. Now, I would understand if he was in the crease and there was a shot from the slot or something fine i get it even if he you know if the, if it's under the pad and he just pushes at the pad and into the net i get it but this is a case where the puck is loose it's sitting there he takes two swipes at it second one is in and then the bizarre sequence of calling it a goal and then calling it no goal man it shouldn't have never it should have never gone there obviously the kings played a pretty dud of a game but that was a pretty frustrating end to that one yeah, and I don't think – I honestly don't even think the Oilers knew what to make of that. Like they'll take it obviously, but um, Cam Talbot, who's been a very vocal uh, opponent of the goaltender interference rule, um, threw his hands up in celebration. But I don't think he even understood why it was reversed. Like it, it doesn't make any sense. There's no rhyme or reason. There's no consistency from one call to the next. There's – outright interferences that go on as goals for whatever reason it's completely subjective it's left in the hands of the referee of that game as opposed to some sort of a centralized call from the war room because the war room was the one who gave it the okay that it actually crossed the goal line right so the war room is the one who makes the call and says yes it's a goal in that the goal i mean that the puck crossed the goal line Correct. And then it comes back down and the referee who's on the ice who didn't even want to signal a goal in the first place now has to look at the damn thing and make the call as to whether it was interference. And it's just like in that particular scenario, if the puck is uncovered and he's following through on his shot, how can you make the determination that he's pushing the goaltender across the goal line? It's 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 ridiculous. It's freaking ridiculous to me. I think actually Toronto made the call. Because when it's in the... I, I don't think so. No, Jim Fox came out afterwards and was saying that the goaltender interference call yeah. has to be made by the goal, by the ref on the ice. The ref on the ice reviews whether or not it's goaltender interference, not Toronto. Toronto makes the call as to whether or not it's an actual goal in the sense that did the puck cross the goal line. So if Toronto says that it's a no goal, it never even goes to the potential goaltender interference that the ref then has to make the call on. See, that's that's my understanding. Now, from what I understand, if it's in the last minute of a game, the referees do not call the goaltender interference calls. Now, I'll check on this right now. Again, I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I'm just quoting what Jim Fox was basically saying in a series of tweets afterwards. 
I certainly didn't sit there and scour the NHL rule book. I'm not sure it would make no. a hell of a difference so, so, at all anyway, because no one understands this damn rule. So here we go. At 19.50 of the third period in the Oilers-Kings game, the Situation Room initiated a review under the terms of a coach's challenge to review whether Dustin Brown interfered with Cam Talbot. So, But that's the initiation of it, not necessarily the actual review of it. Okay, so like, let's see. I think what they're saying is that the coach can't challenge that. The Situation Room has to initiate the challenge and tell the referee, hey, look at this again and say if there's interference. So after reviewing all angles... And replays, the referee determined that Brown pushed Talbot's pad across the exactly. goal line. So you're right. I'm wrong. But it just goes to show you how confusing Ooh. this entire goddamn thing is. Because, <laughs> because no we, one, know, we don't even know who reviews it. Because no one, no one knows the rules. Every time there's a goal interference, it's subject to the referees. I guess, I don't know, what they saw, what they feel. Um, and I don't know if you saw the goalie, the goal that counted against Toronto last night. Yes. With Freddie Anderson, probably one of the most blatant goaltender interference plays I've ever seen. And they counted a goal, and I was just dumbfounded. It was ridiculous. It was I, ridiculous. I mean, and the logic behind it that I, I think I read was that because Gardner was pushing Reinhardt, I think was the player who ran into Freddie Anderson, that because Gardner was bodying up Reinhardt and Reinhardt stuck his leg out to kind of try and stop, even though that motion ended up sweeping the leg, if you will, to quote Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai. Sweeping, sweeping the leg of Freddie Anderson completely out of position and leading to Reinhardt having an open net to tuck a goal, to puck, a puck behind him. Somehow that is not considered goaltender interference. I'm just baffled. I'm dumbfounded. The thing is, like, Again, it's just a matter of how the referee looks at it at that minute right. and what they determine happened on that play. Because, you know, you could say Gardner pushed him in, but the other angle, there was another there is another argument that Anderson came out to throw a, like a pick on, on the right. goal scorer. Like he... He almost trying to draw an interference call. He pushed his... <laughs> yeah, he pushed his left trying to make contact or maybe set a pick or draw an interference call and that sweeps his own leg. So so where is incidental contact on this? Because I've heard that, you know, get a goal called back. It yeah. says no goal in incidental contact. It's not goaltender interference. Is that reviewable or is that something that you can only call on the ice? Yeah. And I know you I don't know, know the that... answer because I, no one does apparently. <laughs> I just you know, this is this this just screams um shades of the uh, illustrious uh, skate in the crease rule. Yeah, totally. And it's going and it's going to rear its ugly head at some point throughout the playoffs, and it's just going to be phenomenal. And it's just going to be. Um, I honestly, if that's what it takes, I hope it happens in the Cup Finals. That's what it took. <laughs> that's what it took last time, and that's yeah. probably what it's going to take this time. So, yeah. Anyway, no, I think I think even if it doesn't have that element to it, it's going to be a it's going to be a big topic of conversation in the off season meetings. Like they're all just going to get in there and they're going to be like, first and foremost, we're all sorry. We know you've all been screwed by this rule by some, you know, in some method. Yeah. And then in the Chicago game, I know we're jumping ahead here, but they called the goalie interference on Chicago that I didn't expect for that goal to be called. Yeah, back. That was, that was <laughs> very odd. And, and again, the Chicago game, that's, you know, there's a whole, ball we'll, of problems we'll get, we'll there. Get to there we'll get i mean we'll get to that we'll get to that um but yeah the reason we went through this edmonton thing is because the kings made a very late comeback and they did the same thing two nights later against vegas in los angeles it seemed like the game was over the game was done uh the kings come back with a late goal from Andre kobatar off just a phenomenal feed from dion for <laughs> right. that then I'm pretty sure Jake Muzzin would have just blasted into someone's shin pad. Straight into the shin pad. Or no Drew, question. Drew Doughty would have just taken a forever slap shot. Drew Doughty would have, would have wound up and tried to do a spinorama around the guy <laughs> and then done another spinorama and then pulled out of the zone and let everyone regroup because he wasn't happy with the look. Right. We're not hating, on, we're not hating on our boys Muzzin and Doughty. We're just saying – a uh, little bit on Muzzin. For for Dion to have the wherewithal and the the patience, the poise to actually look up and see Kopitar at the side of the net like that, that 
you know, I remember you and I texted each other about how amazing that play was, even though it's such a simple play. But again, we just expect our D to it's just the only logical play in that sense, right? Like it's the only logical play in that in that situation, and yet we both fully knew exactly that like if it was a different player that play would be completely well, different this, i think martinez would have made that pass too if the, i'm being completely fair the thing is there's so little time left on the clock that your hockey player kind of i don't know roots tell you just put this on net as soon as you can and get it to the net so something can happen and that's why to me it's such a a unique significant play by Funuf because it's not even about experience, right? It's just the way hockey players are wired. There's five seconds left. Get it to the net so that someone can bang. It's just the way it is. Right. That, that's just what you're taught to do. So I was really impressed with the way you found Kopitar at the side of the net there. You know, if if, if those are the kind of plays we're, we can expect from him for the next three seasons, then good times. Good times had he, by all. Yeah, I think, I think some of it is certainly, you know, new guy in the room, excited to be in L.A., excited to be where his wife is and – a competitive team versus the shit show that has become the Ottawa Senators. And um, so I think some of it could just be that. I, I I don't expect plays like that from him. I still expect that at some point he's going to settle into being that 15, 16-minute guy. But if he's going to keep playing like that and they're going to trot him out for 18 to 20 minutes for the rest of the season, hey, man, by all means, by all means. Yeah. And so Dustin Brown wins it in overtime, a big win. Uh, to say the least, you know, just coming off that Oilers loss, just the way that game was going to to basically st- steal two points away mm-hmm. from Vegas, that game was was huge, right? We we talked about last episode about the confidence boost that you would get if you could sweep Vegas in that home and home. So they got one out of the way, and then the next night they just came out uh, with Jack Campbell in net making his Kings debut, and and they just went to work, man. They did work. They never. I don't think I felt Vegas was ever in the game, truly. They scored first, but, I, you know, I never felt like the game was in danger. I thought Jack Campbell was shaky at times, solid at other times, which is to be expected. It was his, his first NHL win, and the Kings take that one 4-1. to one. Yeah, and I think um, I, I try and think of that from the perspective of, of a goalie who hasn't had an NHL win in his life and was it like two starts prior to that? Like he hadn't had very many NHL starts either. And you go into what has become apparently one of the best barns in the NHL in like less than a season's time um, against a team that rarely loses at home, plays a high energy style and you put up a great performance. Again, I agree with you shaky at times, but the fact is he was there when, when it counted made 40 some odd saves and won the game and the team in front of him, I think played about as perfectly as you can expect to play against a team like Vegas, right? So Vegas is a team that's going to look to outwork you score on the rush. And if they're not scoring on the rush, they're going to be looking to make some fancy plays and just skate you into oblivion until, you know, you're so dizzy that you fall down and then they score. And I think the Kings came out. And again, I think you have to give a lot of credit to the bottom six. They checked really, really well. They didn't let Vegas get started in any way with their rush game. Um, I mean, they were just stopping passes. Honestly, there were, there were sticks in lanes and just preventing two passes from hooking up to let Vegas get going. Um, and I think that's the key. I mean, you let those guys get, get going and you're going to have trouble controlling them. And they played a well-coached, really, really phenomenal game against Vegas. And I got to We got to talk about that, that goal by Kopitar, you know, just dirty <laughs> driving through the middle like that. And he has been doing this all season. And it, it's very, very obvious to me that he, is doing things now that he wasn't doing under Daryl Sutter, period, period, since 2011. Uh, you know, the only play I could remember where it was a highlight reel type play like that, I think was against Arizona in overtime a couple of seasons ago. But he was, again, he was driving on a forward and he scored. And then obviously he had a few nice ones in the playoffs. But this season, more than I think any season in the last five or six, I have seen him take the puck directly to the middle, at least try to, even if he's one-on-two, even when he's one-on-one, he is trying things, right? And yeah. it's plain plain as day to me that it's, it's a conscious effort by him. 
to be like, you know what, I got the skill, I'm just going to try it. I mean, he's been so responsible his entire career that I think at times he would rather play it safe and, and worry about possession than let his like talent take over and just try something that might work only once out of five or six times. But the one time it does work, you know it's going to be special. And that's, I think, exactly what happened on that goal against Vegas. Yeah, and I think I think he's such a responsible player that the five or six times that he would have tried it and that that it didn't work out, it would never be in a situation where his team would just get burned. You know what I mean? Like he would back check so hard to prevent there from being any consequence of him not being successful with that offensive move that it's not even that big a deal. I think that game in particular, I don't know what it was, but he just had some jump in his game where every chance he got, he was willing to take it to the slot, willing to try and make a high risk play or try and get a better scoring chance. And those games are just fun to watch when he's on his game. There's very few players out there who can be as dominant in the game as him. Um, and I think some of that again, goes back to the fact that Carter's back in the lineup. Now, I think that gives him the ability to spread his minutes out a little bit more and make those efforts a bit more because he knows that, okay, I'm, I got Jeff back there. I can take a shift and cool off and then he'll you know they kind of go back and forth on it honestly i think just this has been arguably his best season so far and i don't want to jinx anything i don't want to mm-hmm. be that guy but probably his best season in like five six years for him too and he had a really really good season in 16 17 obvious yeah. or uh, 15 16 sorry where we want to forget about 16 17 for Kobe. <laughs> no in 15 16 he had a really really good season but i think this season man he is just a, a force every single game i don't think he's had one off night this season yeah. and, and that's why i kind of think like if i were to put him put this season up so far against up against his other seasons this one's been really really good for him no i agree i think it's been a very special season for him and i think it's one of the first times where you know i think the knock on him throughout his his career as fantastic as it's been um has always been that you feel like there's another layer to him another level another like you know you see those those shades those moments of dominance and you're just like why is he not doing this more often and i think this is the first season that i can recall where every single game almost he's he's trying a bit more to be dominant he's trying to take over a game as opposed to just managing a game if you will right and uh he his total shot attempts this season are at 289 uh so his shots are at 160. All of last season, he attempted 290 shots and put 150 on the net. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's not a big jump, but it's significant enough where you're like, okay, obviously his shot attempts. He it's a it's a conscious effort again to put the puck on the net to make sure he's getting his shots in because his shooting percentage is 16.9, which is ridiculous for him, even yeah. for his standards and. You know, you always say, well, it's probably going to regress at some point. Well, we're almost at the end of the season and still shooting at almost 17%. So, yeah. I mean, even if he was shooting at like 12%, right? You know, you figure he's still got a handful of games to go. Say that, say that, what was he at? 160 shots so far? Yes, on net. Okay. So, say, so say he gets somewhere around 190 maybe maybe 190 shots right right if he's shooting 12 percent even through 190 shots you're talking about him scoring another two three goals you know more than he would have otherwise last season and i think that's a a big difference man two or three goals here or there that's huge for a team absolutely especially and that's not even including all the assists that's not even including all the you know helpers that come off of some of those shots because he takes shots most of his shots are from high risk areas he's not one that just put a puck on net for the sake of putting it on net either right and you know the situations he's put on the ice for they're always key situations so two three goals here and there especially if they come in situations like that is absolutely huge and uh he has 27 goals already this season. That's his most since 13-14. He has 71 points. Obviously, in 15-16, he had uh, 74. But before that, you have to go all the way back to 11-12, uh, where he's had more than what he has now. And and they're, like we said, we're still not even at game 82. So he, he's staring down a very real possibility at 
a 30-goal, 80-point season, which is tremendous in this day and age, and it will be his second 80-point season and his first since 0910. I mean, we don't want to, again, we don't want to jinx it for you, Kopi, but it sure looks like it's heading in that direction for him and likely another uh, season where he's a Selkie Trophy finalist. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, Bergeron, I'm not sure if he's playing now or if he's still he's hurt. He's not I, yet. I, no, he's still injured. So that, that puts a dent in his... That that kind of puts a little dent in his in his uh, Selkie hopes, and and the points aren't even close. I know. Look, right. I know Bergeron is was on all sorts of fire before he got injured. I know, you know, if you talk about his shot suppression and his defensive, you know, metrics and stuff, I'm sure they're at the top of the league. But he has like fifty something points, which is nothing to sneeze at, obviously. But when you put it against a guy who who plays. 22 averages 22 minutes this season which by the way is a career high for him mm. and he has Again, 71 points by jeff carter being hurt but still right hanging right. in there i i think and obviously I, we are a little biased but we're i think i'm gonna say kopi should win the selkie i'm not gonna argue with that why not <laughs> i mean it's just crazy yep um i i remember early on in the season we kind of briefly talked about who would be uh, the Selkie finalists? Um, Barkov is certainly coming on lately. I know that was a name that you brought up, brought up as well. But I would expect, just based on how things are going right now, that it would be Kopi, Barkov, and uh, and Bergeron for the finalists. Well, another name I brought up was Sean Couturier too. Don't forget him. He's he's having he, a great season. He, as well. I think he's leading the Flyers in scoring, um, and he's put up career highs in almost every category uh, i think Giroux and voracek are actually ahead of him scoring wise oh, are they okay yes it yeah but i mean that's that's neither here nor there he's he's definitely having a career year there's no question i know he's got over 30 goals uh Am 29 and 34 oh. from what i'm looking at here okay so, so he's, he's almost uh, at 30 yeah, yeah. R- regardless i mean he's it's career highs for him all over all across the board yeah. So uh, he might he might get some consideration too. But anyway, um, so after the Kings go back to back on Vegas, they roll into Columbus and and they're down pretty early to nothing. And I remember uh, I said to you, I was like, you know, this is how you come out after that, you know, emotional back to back against Vegas. This is the game we get, and I was pretty fired up about it. But alas, the new <laughs> the new period for the Kings is the second period, I guess. <laughs> Because what they like to do is spot teams a nice lead in the first, and then the second period, they really turn on the Jets. That's what they did, I think, against Vegas. That's what they did against Columbus. And what seemed to be a sure loss suddenly became a pretty uh, decisive victory over the Columbus Blue Jackets. Yeah, I mean, it's just this is the the cardiac kings of this season, really. Just <laughs> they've they've allowed the first goal, I think. 43 out of out of 66 games which is just absurd i can't even fathom that um but then to to actually win a good number of those games is pretty impressive and just never say die i guess and and i guess that's helpful because that always puts you in a position where as a team you're wondering you never feel like you're out of a game right like you never have to think to yourself that like oh man they got two on us we're done here on to the next one right Right, and uh, it it kind of goes back to just the overall feeling with the team. We talked about no identity and like up and down. You know, b- before when it was two nothing, if the Kings were down two nothing, it was game over. If the Kings were up two nothing, it was game over. Before, like that's just the way it was. But now it's, I don't know if it's a new NHL thing, whatever you want to call it. But don't turn the channel until the game is over guys uh, i hope no one's been doing that because you, if you did you missed some incredible <laughs> incredible games even the one yeah even that edmonton game man it was just as a fan man, you're we, like we love the last five minutes of a game apparently <laughs> yeah maybe exactly. the kings have just been watching too many lakers games and they realize that all the fun stuff happens in the last five minutes of a game and just want to replicate it i hope not i hope <laughs> not because uh spotting a team two goals and then making yeah. a comeback is not a formula for any kind of sustained success i assure you and it's not a formula for keeping me alive much longer because <laughs> i will have some sort of a breakdown 
whether it be physical or mental. So Kings, don't do that. Don't they do care that. not for your health. Let's jump out <laughs> to one. let's jump out to a big lead. Hold on to it and just cruise on to the. Vi- oh wait, <laughs> oh wait a minute. We tried that against Chicago, and it Doesn't didn't work. work for us, buddy. It did not work because we get emotional. That's why. So let's just let's just talk about this. All right, here's the deal. Um, a lot has been made about Drew Doughty and that Chicago game. A lot has been, I guess, said, written, whatever you want to call it, about his quote unquote passion, his fire, and also about his discipline and his maturity. So here's the thing, right? Um, and we'll talk about this a little bit. His passion versus discipline. We've said it on many. Uh, many an occasion that we enjoy the fact that he cares so much it's great it's awesome that he cares so much that he plays with fire that he plays with passion but we've also said that there's times where he just needs to be quiet sit down put his head down and let things happen so that he can get back into the game and against chicago he took a four minute penalty two minutes for hooking two minutes for unsportsmanlike conduct uh chicago scores on the second half of that four minute penalty but it sure seemed like the game changed after that four-minute penalty he, he took. And essentially, the team collapsed. Uh, Tanner Pearson had a penalty as well. Let's not just, you know shovel everything on Drew here. It was a weak call. It shouldn't have been called, but it was called. And basically, Chicago, <laughs> they... I don't even know. I don't even know what my, what my emotions were after that game. It was... You know, you had two points in the bag. I'm not used to this team collapsing like that too much. Right. Uh, so it was it was kind of tough to see. But, yeah, man, Drew, Drew is under fire right now, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've said several times on past episodes that, like, he's guilty of trying too much. And that's both in his play and in his behavior a lot of times. And, you know, you're not a young player anymore, man. You're, you're freaking... 28 29 years old you've won a gold medal you've won two cups people are looking you have a letter on your chest people are looking at you to be a calming influence you know you don't have to be a quiet leader necessarily that's not his personality and i don't i'm not asking to like rein it in in terms of what he brings to the game necessarily because that's that's part of what makes drew drew and what makes him a successful hockey player but to take a penalty like that in a situation where your team is still up 3-1 it's a third period i'm not exactly sure why you're so angry you know what i mean it's it's just cool off sit down and come back in the game and make a difference i mean it and i appreciated the fact quite honestly that both stevens and uh, Andre Kopitar were not hesitant to talk about it in the post game. I think it's really easy a lot of times to worry about offending your star player and to come out and you know sugarcoat the comments and say, well, you know, we take Drew good and bad. We love his passion and it's going to get away from him sometimes, but that's okay. I think neither one of them shied away from saying that that was a horrible move on his part. He needs to be more mature. We'll talk about it in the locker room. We'll take care of it. And it was even even the day afterwards. Even the day afterwards when they asked Stevens, it was the same level of comments, you know? And I appreciate that. I appreciate that they're not afraid to, you know, criticize a star player when they make boneheaded decisions. Right. Because accountability matters. Absolutely. And Dr- Dowdy himself said as much he said you know i wish i could take it back and all that obviously he's not gonna say i'm glad i did it or whatever but but the thing that immediately jumped to my mind that 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 almost instantly upset me and it was basically that he in the summer or during even during the season when he's going you know doing his media rounds talking about oh i'm gonna sign in a place where you know i just want cups you know i don't care where i play i just want cups so if you care so much about winning like you claim and you're and you're claiming that the next you know the next city you play the rest of your career in is going to be a place where you can win but in this particular situation you put your team in a position to lose you know that's when that, that makes me angry that that kind of irks me a little bit because here's a guy who talks about winning he's a winner we've seen in his whole, his whole career olympic medals stanley cups talking about how i'm just going to go Wherever I go, it's it's for cups. It's for winning. Well, you had a situation right here in this game to lock up a game, to 
not put your team in a position of weakness to keep them in a position of strength and that's the reaction you gave to me it those two things don't jive with each other you can't be throwing tantrums like that in a game you're up three to one you are winning the game and with you, 10 minutes to go i mean it, it's not like again there's any, i'm sorry yeah, i'm sorry to break your chain it, of thought. it's I'm cool sorry. man no yeah, i agree and you, you say you're all about winning well you're winning the game to be that upset and i'm sure you People have seen the video by now to to just go crazy like that over one questionable call. I mean, he's got to keep it together, man. He's got to tone it down a little bit. It's not a good look. It's not a good look for a guy who, like you said, is you know getting closer and closer to 30 years old, being a veteran player. He, he's going to want the big money, and <laughs> he wants to win. But that example right there, if you put that video up, and if he wasn't a world-class talent, there's no way any GM would touch an attitude like that. Yeah, absolutely, no man. Absolutely. It's it's clearly – it's a situation where I think you as a player start thinking that your talent justifies you, you know, acting like an idiot. And in a lot of ways to me, what it reminded me of was a lot of the – um, criticism that people had of Sidney Crosby when he first started was that he would just whine all the freaking time, that he would just criticize every call. And he managed to work that out of his system and be the player that he is now, you know, like extremely respected as a captain. And I just look at Drew and I say to myself, you know, I don't know how many more people you need to interact with and how many more times you need to win and how many more times, you, you know, you need to be counted on to be a leader before – you're able to peel away these parts of your game and just be a player. Just come out there and like suck it up and, and play the game right. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm mean, just being yeah. honest with you. He's 28. You know, this isn't a situation where you're like, oh, when he gets older. I right. think this is who he is. And look, you take the good with the bad with almost every player. And I am not advocating that we let Drew Doughty walk or anything like that. No. Please do everything in your power to sign him, you know. But I think he is who he is right now. I don't think there's going to be some kind of, I don't know, epiphany moment for him where he's like, okay, I think I get it now. You know, that's it, it's just who that guy is. It's the type of hockey player he is. And I think a lot of people would agree you don't want him to lose that completely. Um, if anything, I hope – I would like to say that hopefully he learned from this, but in my heart I know there are – there are probably more tantrums to come hopefully they're a little bit more toned down so it doesn't cost the team or put the team in a precarious situation or anything like that but to me that guy is he is who he is right now that's yeah. it I mean, I mean to be completely fair within the course of his entire career this is i don't know maybe the only time that i can think of where something quite like that has happened where it's been so directly related to his behavior um, that it costs the team more often than not, it's going in the opposite direction, but it's just, I mean, you essentially took a game that you had completely in hand that you were just controlling. I mean, that second period, they played another perfect period. The Hawks had nothing. They had no pulse whatsoever. And you just, you, you gave them an opportunity I mean, they're still the freaking Blackhawks, man. They still have the same players who won cups, who know how to win, who are willing to jump on an opponent and take their weakness and exploit it. And you just give it to them like catnip. You let right. them do that. And no, and, and to be fair, it's not just on that play. It's not just it's on not, him. There's, not, you know, is, no, no. There's a ton of things that happen afterwards that were not on Drew Doughty. Um, it, it, but like you said, it's just opening the door. That's what he did, you know. He opened the door for them to have the opportunity to come back in that game. And again, moving on, you know, it's fine. It's just, it's a little upsetting that a veteran player doesn't know better or he does know better and he just can't control his emotions. And hopefully moving forward, he, he improves on it. Like I said, I don't expect him to completely change overnight, but hopefully it's something where finally, like you said, it's the first time where it's affected the team this adversely in a game because he has thrown tantrums a lot of tantrums he has he's thrown his stuff around in the penalty box he's yelled at refs he's done it a long for a yeah. long long time except Broken this time over the goal yeah. right except this time it actually you know bit him in the ass for one so i don't know maybe that makes a difference but yeah 
Yep. So anyway, that's, that's our boy. That's our boy. We still love yeah. him. We still love you. Jim. Well, he's he's got three days now or three four days now to rest up and think about what he's done and you know come back hard against the Capitals, which is the Kings' next game coming up on uh, on Thursday, whatever that whatever date is there. Yep, Thursday the eighth, and uh, Washington is coming off a loss to Anaheim, so you know they're going to be plenty pissed off coming into Staples Center. Ovechkin two goals away from six hundred. Yep. Yep, maybe we get to see it live, man. But we said last episode, Vardy, that the Kings would probably need to win 14 or 15 of their last 25 to make the playoffs. Now, since then, they've won six. Um, So if we still go by what we predicted, they would need eight or nine of their last 16 to make the playoffs. And I just want to go over the breakdown of those numbers real quick. Um, The possible records that the Kings would need to make the playoffs if they go eight wins eight losses straight away it's 93 points i don't think that gets you in mm-hmm. um eight seven and one is 94 eight six and two is 95 eight five and three is 96 eight four and four is 97 so that's the eight win category right there <laughs> um that i think 97 gets you in that's why i stopped at 97 honestly it's not it's not crazy to think that the kings can go something like eight five and three it's not crazy to think they could even go 8-4-4. Four, four. Um, so it's a matter of getting those points. Now, if they get to 9 wins, it'll be... If they go 9-7-0, it's 95 points. 9-6-1, 96 points. 9-5-2, 97 points. Mm-hmm. So so 8 or 9, I think we're still somewhat in the ballpark there. Although, like we said, if you win 8, you're going to also need to lose some games in overtime in order to make the playoffs. Yeah, and I think the other point that we brought up is that you're going to have to beat some teams that no one's really expecting you to beat. And um, they've done that. Kings hey, fa- they've they done have that. in typical Kings fashion. You know, they won two against um, Vegas. They they beat Columbus, and then they take a game against the Blackhawks that they should have been. You know that they that should have been a win, and they lose that one. The one against Edmonton that you know should've they basically slept through the first 50 minutes of that game, but then turned it on that could have very easily been a win. And so it all evens out in the end, you know? So it's just, it's, it's going to be a race to the finish and it doesn't help that, you know, as always, there's three or four teams in the Pacific competing for, you know, two available spots. Um, Calgary's taken a bit of a hit with Mike Smith being hurt, which I, I never thought that would happen that a team's fortune would hinge on Mike Smith, but here we are. Yeah. And he's, um, uh, he's back in practice by the way. So, Okay. He's so, not he's knocking on the door of returning and Calgary is three five and two in their last ten. Not good, but right. they've had, I mean, borderline AHL goaltending. So right. that's a little understandable, I guess. But uh, to your point, man, Anaheim has won seven of their last ten and they they have been looking real good. Real mm-hmm. good. And not that I'm surprised, they always do this, these guys, they turn it on towards the end of the season and they're always there in the end they're always in the playoffs in the end so it's not like i'm shocked but there was a there was a time where the kings had a pretty significant cushion on them uh but now you're looking at basically calgary st louis colorado los angeles dallas. san jose dallas and anaheim those teams are all battling for like three spots or four mm-hmm. spots and it's it's is going to get nutty. The teams I would say that are out for sure are like Chicago, Edmonton, Vancouver, Arizona. Everyone else still has a pretty yeah. decent shot. If Calgary falters a little bit more, then, you know, there's some breathing room for those other teams. But other than that, man, I mean. Yeah, it's a race to the finish. And a lot of these teams tight. are playing each other the whole way through. Right, which is, it is you know, tight. Which is the, so you're going to get into that territory now where every game is a four-point game. And you're just hoping for no overtimes. I mean, every every time one of these one of these games goes to an overtime, it's just uh, yeah, you don't painful. want you don't want that three point game. So I guess Vardy, my question to you, pretty simple: Will the Kings make the playoffs? I'm gonna say yes. I'm gonna say yes, and I think they're I think they're going to be the three seed in the Pacific. You're a hopeless romantic, my friend. <laughs> The three seed no. in the Pacific. No, actually, I say mm-hmm. yes. I say yes too. I say yes too. <laughs> I say yes. Uh, if for no other reason, I just don't think Colorado or St. Louis are going to have a better record than the Kings when the season is over. 
that's, I mean, St. Louis straight up seems to have given up on their season yeah, somehow but, by trading. <laughs> right, very but I strange. Mean, but I mean, they're still you know they're still going to battle, and they're only two points out of the last wild card. So right. But yes, you're right. Stasny's gone. Uh, Colorado. I just don't think when it just comes right down to it, the, the Kings and the Avalanche have played the same number of games. Um, I just don't think in the end that the Avalanche are going to be ahead of the Kings. Pretty simple. I'm going to keep it straightforward right there. Um, I think Kings will be in. I don't know. Boy, I don't know if they'll be in the top three in the Pacific, but I'll tell you, I think wild card, I'm going to say the Kings will make it minimum in the final wild card spot, which might not be the greatest because they'll have Nashville in the first round. That's yeah, give me that second wild card. Give me the first wild card spot any day. I'll, Put hey them man, up against I'll Vegas, Vegas in the seven, right now, in the seven right? game series. Yeah, the way Vegas, absolutely. The way Vegas is like looking mortal these days. Yeah, I'll take that. Mm-hmm. And not just that, the entertainment value alone. I mean, you want to talk about building an early rivalry? Yeah, it, it's already there. Imagine with the playoff series too. So yeah, no question, no question. Those two back to back games, you could you could see the the blood was boiling by the end of it. Right. Right, it was. And it, and the fans, you know, they're loud. God bless the Vegas fans. They they kind of came into Staples Center and made some noise. I like that. Good. Um, Kings, did, Kings fans did likewise in Vegas. So that would be a hell of a series. I mean, deep down, I, I don't think I would want to see those guys for like six to seven games. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> to tell you the truth but it would be exhausting yeah i mean i'm just tired thinking about it yeah just oxygen tank the whole time um basically not a second for comfort not a second for anything other than intense hockey watching at the edge of my seat so yeah so one other thing i wanted to bring up one other thing just a quick blurb um we had talked about this briefly with uh seattle um and and their goals of having an expansion team and you know they had uh they had gotten their bid into the nhl last time we spoke and since then they've had their ticket drive and just absolutely annihilated um their goals for getting season tickets and so as much as the nhl may hem and haw and you know pussyfoot around the subject (laughs) they are doing that by the way yeah yeah, Gary Bettman's, you know, well, I'm not sure yet, you know. Well, it's just, we'll just not see. Clear. I mean, you know, it's the yeah, same process yeah. as Vegas. And it's like, dude, shut up. <laughs> shut yeah. up, dude. They have 25,000 season like tickets sold. Yeah. yeah. Give, give me a break. So, so good on them, man. Good on that city. Good on them for uh, for putting their best foot forward and putting their money where their mouth is and um, fully expect them to have an NHL team by 2020. And just if I may, I just, my, my buddy, Adam, who, uh, is from Washington loud and proud and, um, was very upset that I did not mention him as the only person I knew from Washington <laughs> who would be excited about this. So congratulations, Ferg. It's, uh, it's going to happen, buddy. It's, it's on its way. There you Hope go, you like Adam. the Seattle Stallions. <laughs> Is he one of the twenty five thousand people who put down a season ticket? No, deposit? no, he's 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 still poor. He's he's not oh, okay, rich cool. enough for that. I mean, yet. it's but not like, cool, Adam. One, I'm just saying, like, yeah, no, I mean, one of these days, one of these days. But, get on, uh, get on that waiting Seattle list, Squid, buddy, or uh, whatever they decide, whatever they decide to call themselves. Kraken, Seattle Kraken. I like it. How about seals, man? I know you 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 crapped on it last <laughs> time, but has it grown on you at all? It's getting there. All right, good, good getting there whatever they decide to go by i'm sure it'll be fantastic well that's it for us kings against capitals next game let's hope for the w it'll be one of those confidence boosting momentum creating games hopefully what i would like to see since i'm going to the game by the way oh really yeah i am i am uh i want ovi to get 600 Mm -hmm. and i want the kings to Mm -hmm. win nine to two So I don't think that's asking for too much. No, I think that's right up their alley. So by that token, then what's going to happen is Ovechkin's going to score two goals in the first period, obviously. The, the Caps are going to go up 2-0, and then the Kings are going to just rip off seven goals in the second period. Holtby's been pulled, by the way, like three times, I think, in the last week. Yeah, he was, he pulled, to, not, he was pulled against Anaheim. Yeah, he has not been looking very... Uh, very uh holtby-esque if you will right so we might get we might get a grubauer and net 
on Thursday. It'll be interesting. Just the cavalcade of backup goalies that the Kings have been facing lately. Which we always do so well against. Oh, my God. That's just it's our Achilles heel, really. Yeah. yeah Ridiculous. So, so we'll see. Good luck to the Kings. Vardy, we'll see you next time. Follow us on Twitter at the Bannerman Pod. Our website is the is bannermanpodcast.com. Subscribe on iTunes so you don't miss an episode. Stitcher, SoundCloud, anywhere you can find a podcast, you will find the Bannerman and our wonderful musings. 